You're listening to The Big Dory. A Curry Mile podcast. Deadly. Jingi Walla, and welcome to The Big Dory podcast. I'm Naomi Moran. I'm a proud Bunjalung and Dungari woman based here on Widjibu Wildwood country of the Bunjalung Nation at the Curry Mile newspaper. And dialing in from Gadigal country today is our special guest and newest team member to the Koori Mail. We're very excited to, to have her on board. Rachel Hocking is a proud Walpuri woman, uh, has years of experience working in media, and we are very fortunate uh, to have connected with her and have her share in the Koori Mail team here as, as one of our writers. And we're going to talk about that a bit later on in today's episode of The Big Dory. Uh, firstly, I want to say welcome, Rachel, to the podcast. Thank you for being with us. Uh, we don't have Luke and Kirk with us today, so this is a bit of a sister's talk. This is a bit of a, a titties yarn today, and I'm, and I'm very excited. Thank you for being with me. Thanks for having me, sis. Always like catching up with the titters. And yeah, coming to you from Gadigal land today, like you said, so big privilege, but can't wait to come up and visit you more properly on Bunjalung. I know, we're, we're counting down or we're looking forward to better days when we can, uh, you know, all roam about a bit more freely and, um, and, and link up. So we're very excited to to have you part of our team, but even more excited to get you up here and um, and hang out with us and introduce you to the rest of the crew up here. Um, Should be soon, hey? Yeah, soon, hopefully. <laughs> and and on that, how have you been? How has how's your lockdown experience been? I know it's been a really tough time with the length of of weeks and and time that you've had in lockdown. Um, but yeah, how are you? How have you been? Yeah, they all kind of blended into one another. It's mm. a bit of a blur. Um, I quarantined in the Northern Territory for two weeks. Yeah, um, yeah. And so I've been through it since, properly since the beginning of September. And yeah, it just plays around with your head a bit, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we've been talking about it a lot in previous podcasts, just as a general check-in, obviously with, you know, Luke being part of the team and having to dial in and not be here, you know, with us yeah. in person and just checking in on him and um, the impacts that it's had on, you know, not just him personally and, and with his family uh, you know, with his children, but also obviously with his career as well. And um, and I guess, you know, has that been your experience as well, just slowing down in general? Yeah, totally. You know, like you come back and you're like, okay, well, what is my daily routine? Because mm. without that, I think you can get lost really quickly. Um, I'm one of those people who, um, who I really thrive on social interaction, you know. I need to be around my sisters. I need to be around yeah. family and yep. um yeah, just not having those anchors uh, can really cause a lot of confusion. And so I think just having, I'm one of those people, I like write out a list of what I need to get through the day and that's kind of helped me stay on track. But, yeah, definitely. You know, definitely. you know all the things, you get like all the things that you're meant to do, like do stretches in the morning, do a bit of like online <laughs> yoga, do your meditation. But at some point it just feels kind of useless. You're like, I'm still up in this room and, and then you can't remember the last time you ate or last, <laughs> last yeah, time you <laughs> changed out of your pajamas it all gets a bit yeah it gets oh, a bit yeah, much like exactly like just doing loads of washing you know like oh do I really need to if I'm, just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not leaving the house <laughs> well, you know it. um but yeah I think 
I can re- I can feel the relief from a lot of people this week with mm. things opening up, but I actually feel the anxieties from my family and friends a lot more mm. um, because it, I, it's scary. Um, we know for a fact that numbers are going to rise now, mm. um, and 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 that's you know that the fact that we're vaccinated is is our best. Uh, defense but Mm. it it isn't a guarantee and we still need to be really cautious you know we've got to be smart we don't want the state to be over policing us and our vaccination status so I think it's on us as a community to like hold you know be accountable to one another don't go hang out with your mates and family if you're not vaxxed you know ask them why they haven't been vaxxed yet and and have open compassionate conversations with them if they are hesitant I think stripping back that judgment is really important. Well, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, that's been one of the the biggest things that we're seeing, whether it's across social media, whether it's in the media or in our own conversations within our communities and our circles is just being a bit more empathetic to how people are responding uh, regardless of, you know, their stance on things or their willingness um, as well is is just to be really understanding that, uh, you know, we're all different, we all think differently. Uh, yeah. But, but you, know, that, you know, that caution and, and really understanding the difference between uh, you know, uh, being being vaccinated and being immune, and that uh, this is a situation now where we still have to be extremely cautious about where we're going, who we're around, and um, you know, just look just looking after ourselves, and and you know, especially our older ones still as well, and our most vulnerable communities as well. So I think the levels, yeah. um, I guess, of of how heavy this experience has been with everybody is obviously different, but it's very real because it's not. Uh, you know, just about, you know, being sick or, or the possibility of being sick. It, it is about the restrictions. It's about people, you know, having to shut down their businesses, people not, you know, having those workloads, um, you know, or not having the income for their families or, you know, like you said, just not being able to go and visit mob and, and spend time with our families. And I think for our mob, that's probably one of, you know, the biggest things that have that have hit us hard is just not that freedom to be able to to be around our people. And, uh, you know, we talk about um, that being a big part of, um, you know, that being able to heal or, or being able to get through tough times. And when you take that away from us, we feel it, uh, you know, tenfold. It's uh, it, it can be really heavy. It really is. You know, it's our, our emotional and social well-being is really linked to our connections to one another and um, what's been beautiful is that I've seen like the community online really rally around each other you know all the mutual aid funds that are uh, for blackfellas especially in Melbourne and Sydney Mm. Um, you know people um, taking up uh, picking up Coles vouchers and dropping them off to mob in need and doing grocery shops for families who are struggling like we really look after our own even when we can't hug each other. Mm. Uh, we can't sit down and have a cup of tea with one another. There are still things we can do to check in. So I think that's helped keep us all going. Well, definitely. You know, and as blackfellas, we have that inbuilt defence mechanism where, you know, it happens to one of us, it happens to all of us. Um, and, yeah. and, and when it does happen, we're all there ready to, to you know, provide that support or ask how we can help. And, um, and I think that's a massive credit to, you know, um, people in our communities and our families and um, our friendships and, you know, um, even as colleagues, checking in on each other and making sure that everybody, you know, is okay because um, 
I think if anything, if we can't be there in person, um, that's the best way that we can provide that support. Yeah, you touched on something there too that's really important. You know, our mom's mentality largely to all of this has been a collective mentality. We're mm. not thinking about the individual and, you know, whether or not we've had certain freedoms stripped away. Most of us are thinking about what this means for us as a community um, and how our individual actions impact the community. Um, I think that's something that really separates us from some of the other stuff that's been happening, you know, the mob out there the non-mob out there talking about um oh our... yes <laughs> yes I'm sure you'll touch on it <laughs> well and here's the thing is and I and I and I think about this daily because obviously you know you see the articles or you see the socials and Every day there's there's something new or something popping up about uh, you know whether it's a, a celebrity or you know um, somebody being very vocal uh, mm-hmm. about how oppressed they feel during COVID. Uh, somebody recently referred to it as uh, segregation, being segregated, and I think for blackfellas um, and for anybody who's who's not a blackfella listening, I really just hope that you take the time to try and understand where I'm coming from here, um, is that we then, we then check perspective and yeah. we go, hang on a minute, if you're using words like oppression and you're using words like segregation, please explain to me <laughs> how you could possibly understand uh, what that means for you, given the history of our country and given the ongoing injustices uh, some 230 years later that our people are still uh, facing in this country without, uh, without change. So I get, a, I get a bit wild. Do you get a bit wild? Like, I mean, you know, how do you feel about it when you, when you hear that? <laughs> Yeah, I think I think there's I think there's a collective wildness at the moment. Oh, and you know the black Twitter and the black Instagram and all the black socials, and yeah. you know I have my favourites that I follow because I know for for a fact that they're onto it, and uh, you know, and and that's a whole not, another conversation because I absolutely love that. But um, it's that has been real, and uh, and I'm. I don't think our mob should apologise for for feeling that way or speaking about it because, you know, it's 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 like anything unless you know you have experienced that or unless you're part, um, a, 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 you know, of a group of people or a cultured people that have experienced that. Please explain to me what those words mean in your in your circumstance right now. <laughs> And that's it. It it comes for a complete lack of understanding. I think it's like a lot of people for the first time, it's them having the perception of a choice being taken away from them. Mm. And Mm. so rather than understanding how incredibly privileged that makes them, Mm. they're screaming about it. Um, and, And if you break it down, the reality is the choice around the vaccine exists. At the moment, if you refuse, you might just not be able to access certain things. Mm. Uh, a lot of that is temporary. And then for frontline workers and other industries, the mandatory vaccination is about protecting the community, not the individual. And so it's, yeah, you, you look at the history of segregation, apartheid, as horrific racist policies, which mm. are linked ex- um, intrinsically to the existence of marginalised people. Mm-hmm. That's something we cannot change. That is not a choice. So being told you can't enter a pub until you're vaxxed 
that's not segregation. You have a choice. You can go get vaxxed. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's, and you know, um, and then you laugh about it and then people, you know, and then the rolling commentary is, you know, you're laughing at somebody's emotional and mental, mental health. Well, no, Uh, we're laughing at uh, them uh, not taking uh, the responsibility to be educated before they actually use those words in the context that they're using them. So that's what I'm, (laughs) that's what I'm laughing about. And that's what I cannot fathom that people think that it's okay um, to use these words in the context that they're using them. Um, And and there's something to be said about people who are feeling um, scared about mandatory vaccine. I have actually seen some black businesses use similar terminology, but also Mm. just talk about how it's affecting them. And I think um, the idea of mandatory vaccination for some industries can be triggering for Mm. marginalised communities because, you know, historically mob haven't had a lot of choice around having our DNA taken, being poked and prodded by states, um, acknowledging for those communities that the fear is rational, it is valid, um, we just need to approach those conversations with our communities with care. Mm. Um, but, yeah, when you hear it from people who wouldn't have a single clue about what it means to not be allowed entry into a place based on the colour of your skin, mm. um, it's just it really doesn't sit right. And I think it's great to see the call-outs happening and, mm. you know, high-profile people taking down those posts because maybe they're realising how um, how little they know about the weight of what they're saying, the weight of those words. Absolutely. And I mean, myself is, you know, myself personally, I never want to take away from uh, what an individual is feeling because I'm not that person. Uh, And I never want to deny somebody the right to express and feel um, and be upset about about something that's just not who I am. Um, But you're right. When, When you get called out for it, I then... I sit back and and I watch the reaction or I watch Mm. what they do next in in response to how they may have in return taken Mm -hmm. the time to sit down and think about that within themselves and think the same way. Um, That maybe what I have said isn't fair to the history of what First Nations people in this country have gone through. And yeah. that, and I, and I quote one of my, my friends who's, who's not a black fella, uh, but is a, is a beautiful, wonderful, supportive ally in saying your inconvenience is not oppression. That's it. Your inconvenience is not oppression. So please, that, that's you know, the perfect understand. Summary. Yeah, exactly. Please understand that, that, and you're right, just because you can't go to the pub and, and have a beer while I understand that that's, what you'd love to do, and I respect that, uh, but, you know, making a song and dance about it and referring to it as oppression or segregation, um, mm. you know, and could not believe the reference, uh, you know, in terms of the history of apartheid either uh, behaviour. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just I just don't understand that. And it's such a fine line between going, you know, well, um, I I can't speak for what people are going through and then going, hang on a minute, I'm actually going to call you out because what our people have been through is is nowhere near, uh, you know, what people are experiencing during during COVID and lockdown. And I think a really good test is just to look at the sorts of people who are making these claims and to look at their history of talking about actual issues of violence, racism and segregation in this country. Where have they been? Where have they been when there have been, <laughs> you know, very obvious cases of this happening? Oh, Absolutely. <laughs> I don't want to kind of 
uh, get too far down the rabbit hole of this, but I think just in light of recent recent commentary, it's uh, it's definitely been something on you know everybody's uh, mind and on everybody's newsfeed. And this is the big dory. Uh, so we do sit back and have a big Doris about, you know, what everybody's yarning about and what everybody's, uh, I guess, you know, bringing to our, our feeds and our screens. And, um, that's definitely something that I, I, I feel needs to be talked about because I think, you know, the more people can listen and understand where we're coming from, it's not just about, you know, us calling it out is actually about making people understand, the layers to it and, uh, you know, that being, I guess, part part of the education process. That's it. You know, a lot of it isn't about just like making fun of them, like you said, but it's about how dangerous their views really are if we just let them go um, unquestioned and unchallenged. So we're seeing a lot of labour from black women and our queer communities largely mm. calling this in um, and they should be grateful, you know, honestly, that people are taking the time to lay out exactly what is wrong with that terminology when they use it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the respectful way is to is to take that on board and, and to learn from it and to understand that there are many other words within the... <laughs> within the dictionary and our vocabulary that you can use to reference your experience. Uh, yeah, but those words aren't it. <laughs> but no, they're not. They're not. They just fall flat. So learn something, apologise, move on. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, I mean, look, speaking of, of, of respect and, and, and things that we need to talk about, uh, something we, we did want to talk about in, in, in today's yarn is, is obviously the ongoing um, deaths in custody uh, yeah, the yeah. circumstances surrounding people in our communities around the nation, uh, those that we either know uh, or that we know of, and and yeah. again, uh, you know the the respect for their lives and the respect for their names and the circumstances surrounding the loss of their lives. I'd love to yarn to you about that because I know uh, recently you wrote a wonderful article uh, in the Crew Mail. So after the break. We'll have a chat about that with Rachel Hocking. Very lucky to be sharing this space with you today, sis, and uh, we'll be back after the break. The Koori Mail. Knowledge. Culture. Country. Connection. First Nations Media Australia is the national peak body representing and supporting the First Nations media and communications industry. We support media organisations to provide essential media services to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, and we invite you to join us. Being a member of First Nations Media Australia helps us strengthen our powerful and connected voices in broadcasting and media. Your voice is central to our strong industry. Visit firstnationsmedia.org.au to apply. If anything in this podcast raises any issues for you, please contact the National Indigenous Critical Response Service on 1800 805 801 or Lifeline Australia on 13 11 14. Welcome back to the Big Dory podcast. My name's Naomi Moran. I am your host today. I'm filling in for Kirk Page. So I have the privilege of being in conversation with the deadly Rachel Hocking today, who's our 
newest writer for the Koori Mail, Walpuri Woman, uh, based on in Gadigal country down there at Newtown, Sydney. Thank you so much for being with me again today, Titta. It's, um, it's been great yarning with you. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It's so mad to see um, how many podcasts our mob are doing at the moment. I'm really, I don't know, I'm digging it. Yeah, and I think the silver lining with, you know, lockdown, COVID is, uh, you know, all these creatives coming out and creating content. And it's something that the crew mail has been wanting to do for a long time, uh, you know, being able to have conversations uh, with our mob who, who have things to say. And I think as, as black media, that's what we stand for, um, is elevating the voices of our people and bringing to light issues from our communities that otherwise, uh, you know, white media and, and, and uh, you know, non-Indigenous communities, um, you know, would be supportive of or have been supportive of. And in saying that, uh, we've, we've been seeing over the past few weeks the uproar from our communities and our mob, and, and rightly so, around uh, the deaths of our people, the ongoing deaths of our people uh, in community, in custody, the circumstances surrounding uh, the loss of their lives and and just how difficult and tragic that has been uh, for their families and communities. And again, when it happens to one of us, it happens to all of us, we all feel it. Uh, when we work in black media, it then becomes our responsibility, along with uh, leaders in our community and those who have platforms, that we're very grateful for, for bringing to light these issues and uh, saying the names of, of these people and uh, bringing attention to the circumstances around around their deaths and and just how heavy that is um, and the responsibility of our, of our people at the end of the day and our black media to make sure that... We're giving uh, their families the voice uh, so that they can then uh, start seeking and, and getting the answers that they need. That's exactly it, hey. Um, you know, saying the names in the past couple of weeks of Charlene Warrior, Gordon Copeland, and even Yamaji woman JC, who mm. passed away more than a year ago now in Perth. That's right. Um, you know, her murder trial, um, the murder trial of a police officer who's charged with the alleged murder of her is still underway and that's also brought up a lot for our communities as well and, you know, Charlene Warrior, I've seen her face all through my feed because mm. of the dedication of black women and all our communities to make sure that we know who she is and, and who her daughter is but are we seeing these faces and names on the feeds of non-Indigenous people? Mm. I'm not sure, you know, like I'm lucky to be surrounded by so many people who find it so important to, to like you said, amplify the voices of the families who have been advocating uh, for justice in these cases and these matters. Mm. But it shouldn't take that, you know, it shouldn't take the grieving families shouting on the streets, mm. demanding answers, creating petitions for the mainstream media to pay attention. That's right, yep. And just the, again, you know, going going back to, you know, that the defence that is um, our, our mob as a collective and that when, you know, uh, regardless of what community uh, or what family um, that if we know that it hasn't been given the attention that it needs, and rightfully so, we're the ones that are picking it up. And that, uh, you know, like I said, very grateful for 
our online community of mob that are very quick to bring these issues to light um, and put it in our faces every day. And I think as hard as it is uh, to, to read the stories, to see the faces, uh, to know what, what's happened, uh, that can be extremely heavy in the moment. But I am very grateful, um, you know, that that I see it every day and very grateful to those who are on these platforms that, are, you know, that are doing the advocating and doing the educating and, and that are getting it out there so that um, it can be spoken about uh, so that these families can then, uh, you know, get the answers that they need. Charlene Warrior was missing for two weeks since the 18th of, of September when she was going to see her one-year-old daughter. She's She's got a one-year-old baby at her ex-partner's home in, in Butte, which is uh, in South Australia. It's located around, I think, 30 to 40 kilometres um, north of Port Wakefield, so around the York Peninsula down there. And on the 3rd of October... Um, Original report stated that her death was not suspicious um, mm-hmm. and that there was going to be ongoing investigations. Now, when you then look on social media and there are family members, uh, like you said, that are screaming out saying that, um, you know, they don't believe that it was not not suspicious and that there there is more to it. How do we even begin to understand what it's like for these families to to not only have lost somebody who, you know, personally uh, I, I feel may have been silenced in so many ways um, mm-hmm. as a young woman in her experience um, as a young woman in a relationship. How do the families then have to deal with potentially now being silenced around what they feel or think has happened. I, I just can't imagine the, the layers of, of tragedy and, and trauma and emotion and uh, emotional turmoil that must be. That's it. Hey, it's like you go through this extreme trauma and then that trauma is exacerbated by the media silence mm. or misreporting of what's going on. And uh, this is where we see so many valid comparisons to what happens when it's non-Indigenous women Mm, mm. at the centre of these stories and non-Indigenous people at the centre of these stories. You know, rightfully, there is outrage when we see a woman murdered or when we see a man go missing or when we see anything that happens in community that people think is unjust, but we see a completely different level of attention and You know, you think back to the women's marches earlier Mm. this year and the tens of thousands of people that were crying out about sexism in Parliament and I just felt the pain of our women, you know, standing there being like, well, we've been talking about the the violence from the state Mm -hmm. and against Mm -hmm. our bodies for decades. Why don't we have the same tens of thousands of people marching alongside us When we call out the same tragedy, Um, Amy Maguire wrote a really beautiful, you know, as as usual, just really summed up this outrage. Extremely articulate she is in her her writing. She is, you know, she really does um, pull together perfectly what our mob are feeling when these things happen. Um, Mm. And if I can quote a part of the piece that she wrote this week. 
She said, by remembering our people who have lost their lives, by making claims of their worthiness as people, and by making visible the violence, not only that which ended their lives, but which they resisted throughout their lives, we resist these active attempts at silencing, and we must continue to mourn for them. Mm. Yeah, beautiful article, and I'd I'd really... um you know, encourage anybody who, who's listening to to read that article, uh, and we'll provide the link in 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 the show notes as well. But um, I think the the blessing that we have in our in our in our black women who speak out, in our black women that are are willing and ready to have the conversations when this happens, um, it truly is a gift. Um, but at the end of the day, it can be extremely exhausting and tiring and can take its own emotional uh, and mental toll on our women who are standing up and being uh, the voices for the voiceless or for those that, uh, you know, sadly weren't heard when they were alive and, and, and are now no longer with us. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It takes a huge toll and uh, our, you know, our, our biggest asset is Uh, our communities and how we stand together in these times and how we actually, you know, see ways for us. We we find ways to seek justice. We Mm. we bring together, you know, whether it's sharing petitions, whether it's sharing um, fundraisers, you know, so many Mm. mob who who aren't even families to the people who have passed set up these fundraisers on behalf of families just to ensure that they can pay for a funeral, just to ensure that they can... Um, bring the bodies home um, and so that they can still live while grieving, you know, pay rent, pay bills, all these things that people take for granted but that get stripped away from us when we have so much grief um, piled on top of us. And so I think what we, what at least gives me strength is is that knowing that we can still do something mm. and when we as a community band together on the different things that we, that are in our power, um, whether it's shining a light on these stories by sharing them, by articulating them in black media from mm. our perspectives. Mm. Um, and even this week, you know, the Aboriginal Legal Service, um, when they announced that there will be an inquiry into Gordon Copeland's death, they actually um, put out that the family, while they're not doing interviews themselves, they have requested that news outlets close comments Mm. on their website and social media posts whenever they post stories. And that's something that we as a community can monitor. You know, we can keep an eye on the media outlets who are writing about his life and the community's fight for justice. And we can make sure that they're listening to what the family's demands are. And that is to close the comments section. It's a very simple thing that they can do. Well, that's right. And just, um, you know, understanding the sensitivities around what has happened uh, I think, you know, in some ways, uh, mainstream communities and, and media have, have have come a bit a bit of a way in uh, in making sure that they understand the sensitivities and that there are, you know, policies or that or that there are actions around protecting those. But there's still a long way to go, and uh, being vocal about that uh, instantaneously when when stuff like this happens 
uh, I think is really important. And, and if anything, uh, continuing to have those conversations around obviously not just the injustices and, and what's happened, that's extremely important, uh, but also, uh, you know, educating people around, well, what next in terms of this particular case or in terms of reporting about it or sharing, you know, any content around it as well. Yeah, that's right. Linking back to what, you know, the families want during this time and staying connected to, to what um, our protocols are during these times as well. I think um, that can keep us grounded um, rather than what the mainstream media tends to do, which is, you know, hype up a story without actually sitting down and thinking, what is the impact on the community? Mm. What, are the, what, what weight do my words carry? Um, we've seen some really horrible reporting this year on our tragedies and it takes, it, it, it really undermines all the work that's been done at a community level to ensure that there are respectful practices when our people die in unjust ways. Um, and so what I, I'm really um, glad to see is that there's starting to be a bit more accountability, mm. on, you know, from mainstream media when that happens. And um, that's just because of how strong our mob are in yeah. calling that out. Absolutely. And, and you know, I've been, uh, personally, I've been following uh, some issues in relation to the missing and murdered Indigenous women uh, in America and um, yeah. just the similarities, you know, around that is is insane. Uh, you know, and I've always said that our experiences and, and our history is, is, is very similar uh, to what First Nations people in America have, have experienced. And, and I know recently, um, you know, just in terms of the comparison between uh, media coverage and attention over, uh, you know, white bodies and black and brown bodies, um, mm -hmm. uh, I was really surprised and I guess a bit put off by 60 Minutes Australia had uh, covered the, the story of uh, Gabby Petito, um, who, the, you know, people had been following the case of, of her young blogger, traveller with her boyfriend. There was obviously a domestic violence incident and then her body was found uh, abandoned in Wyoming, um, mm -hmm. you know, some some days later. Um, if, you know, if anybody's interested in following the story, they can look it up. But then following that, uh, again, uh, communities, um, you know, the First Nations people, uh, the uproar around, hang on a minute, we've had over 700 First Nations women disappear, so yep. reported missing in the exact same area that this young woman was found. Yet 60 Minutes Australia even labelled the story or captioned the story American Tragedy. And Jesus. the national, uh, I guess, focus and attention uh, across the United States around this particular young woman, and again, not taking away a loss of life and the circumstances and, and you know, and her, uh, but very much, um, I, I guess, emphasising the, the same experiences around the comparison between non-Indigenous and Indigenous lives and, and how they matter to people. And then I think, hang on a minute, when I saw that, when I saw American tragedy, <laughs> I just went, hang on a minute, George Floyd is an American tragedy. Breonna Taylor, who was, who was shot dead as a result mm -hmm. of a, um, of a botched raid by the police 
nobody has ever been charged for her for for her death. That is an American tragedy. Yet very little media coverage, major media coverage from black media in America and black celebrities and, and people of influence and, and leadership that have taken on that responsibility, just like us. Uh, mm-hmm. But again, uh, you know, if it has been covered for the media, it has been covered without all the bells and whistles that otherwise, you know, um, a, a non-black person or a non-Indigenous person, um, you know, would have. So, you know, when it comes to black or, or brown bodies, um you know, what does that mean for their lives? The implication is that we're dispensable, you know, like that mm. we, the implication by, you know, the silencing um, of our stories in the media and then also the misreporting um, and, and the ways that you see uh, black and brown bodies reported compared to white bodies as well. The words, the language that's used, you know, painting us as those angry communities. Um, Absolutely. The, the uprisings that happen in the wake of shootings in the US and, and making them out as riots, mm. as, as people who are animals, who, who um, are just looking to cause trouble when the reality is they're seeking justice and, and that, that what you're seeing on the streets is a desperate people doing the only thing that they can in that moment when they've lost so much control from the state. We've seen the same thing here in Palm Island, you know, when they talked about the riots there, that was an uprising. That was that was a very organised effort seeking justice. Mm. And we, we get framed in these ways on purpose. It's very purposeful. And it just comes down to who this who our societies value, uh, which bodies are valuable when they are no longer here, and the types of victims and survivors that the media thinks are worth reporting on. You know, they think that maybe there'll be more sympathy for these peoples, but that is because the media has historically painted them that way. Absolutely. It's most likely that the focus will always be on who that person was. So what did they do wrong? What's their criminal history? Uh, you know, what led up, what were the events that led up to the incident and how that then allows white media and white audiences to then deliver that narrative that the person who unjustly lost their life was to blame. That's it. And that's exactly, you know, we see when white men kill women in this country and the articles the next day talk about them being a good bloke. Mm. But when our peoples die in many different ways, many different unjust ways, their criminal histories are brought up. Absolutely. It's disgusting. It is disgusting. And, you know, those uh, contributing factors to, you know, that behaviour, that is what continues uh, to contribute to our our women or our people feeling uh, silenced. Um, when they uh, experience this and, and not being able to, to speak up or, or speak out. Because oftentimes um, they will then sit back and, and, and uh, torment themselves around what it is that they may have done wrong to, in, in the lead up to the tragedy or in the lead up to the incident or in the lead up to the abuse. And especially yeah. with our women... You know, um, that that behaviour is a result of 
uh, you know, our mainstream communities or media is what continues to silence our women who experience family and domestic violence, whether it's physical, emotional and, and mental abuse, um, they're more likely, uh, you know, to hide away from it because um, of, of what they're seeing um, on a national level on how, uh, you know, our people are being treated in, in these situations. That's right. And we see it in how systems respond as well. You know, there were statistics in Queensland this year which showed that when women, largely Aboriginal women, were calling for help for uh, whether it was a domestic violence dispute or other situation, often they were the ones to get arrested mm. on arrival of the police. And this is the thing, like when there is this uh, societal perception of us as being angry, as being wild as being, you know, um, uncontrollable, then our humanity gets taken away. They don't see why that anger is important uh, and why that drives us and how that's actually a survival tactic. Mm. Instead, it's used to paint us as other. And by doing that, they get away with this dehumanisation of us, whether that's through media reporting or through the state response. Mm. It takes less effort and it's far easier to uh, uh, to be on the surface, to just access surface level uh, information um, and history and experiences. Unless you're going to actually sit down with yourself and go deep into the layers uh, of history and experience and, and what is real and what is factual, um, then you will always find yourself most comfortable at the surface level. And that's the problem. A hundred percent. That's what needs to happen uh, for the conversations to change, for that narrative to change around when a tragedy happens in our communities, in our families and with our people, that it's uh, the the anger that comes out of that is not us just being, you know, wild, you know, not just yeah. being the wild blackfellas, not just being, you know, too vocal or, you know, not feeling like we can have our say because then we're not true to ourselves, we're not true to, to our communities, our families and our people if we do... Um, find ourselves silencing ourselves that's one of the the most disheartening things that could happen absolutely yeah we have to amplify our voices and you know that's why career mail exists you know absolutely is... black media matters yeah. uh you know that's why our media organizations uh, are here and have survived our black media organisations are absolutely vital to being the voices of our people, regardless of what platforms, whether it's print, whether it's television, radio, uh, you know, other other platforms of, of sharing and creating content that focus on uh, messages um, that are of importance and bringing to light issues that need to be spoken about uh, in this country. Uh, you've spent a lot of time working in black media and again coming back to you know the fact that you're with us now as, as one of our writers so exciting what are some of the I guess the highlights of of your career and and again focusing on the importance of black media as well I guess in particular with what we're talking about around uh, black media being the voice of our people and uh, and how we play a role in that yeah, so many highlights and, you know, I'm I'm just so stoked and privileged to be back at the Career Mail. It was my first job writing as a journalist when I was still at university, um, you know, about, God, 10 years ago now, mm, I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's, 
it's where I've always seen myself. You know, I was at NITV for about seven years and um, I, I felt like what gave me so much strength despite the almost the daily trauma of reporting on our people's oppression and our mm. fight for justice, um, the things that gave me strength w- were the daily interviews with mob, you know, like we value our expertise we value our knowledge we don't construct a story the same way that mainstream media does where an elder is relegated to the last interview in a tv story we Mm. value our elders knowledge as experts as the knowledge holders in our communities and I think by doing that you can see automatically you know the, the amount of messages we get about what it meant to have their voice and their story valued but to also have that yarn with a black fella in the first place yeah. where, you know, where time is taken. You know, we don't rush in and say, hey, i got to get a grab from you, then run out because this story is due at 6 p.m. Mm, if we're doing right. it, we don't do that, you know, death knock style where you go up and you ask a family to comment the minute someone's passed away. That's old school white journalism and it still happens today. But if we are doing a story on a death in community, that's not a daily turnaround. That's going out to that community, building that relationship, finding out if someone else in our organisation already has a connection with that community because that's mm. the strength of black media. You know, we all have connections back to our communities and then doing it properly, you know, waiting to be invited, sitting down, having a cuppa before you get the camera out, um, before you get the recorder out and, there's just been so many moments um, where I've built lifelong friendships with mm. the people who I, you know, sat down to interview with. I've I've met family who, you know, are um, living off country all around the place who are like, oh, yeah, yeah, i got connections back to Ledge <laughs> And I'm like, oh. That's always don't. the way. That's always the way. Yeah, yeah it beautiful. is. Um, and what that means is um, we build trust with those communities, you know. Absolutely. Like we, there's a reason why the same families and people come back to black media to tell their stories. There's a reason you see black media doing these stories properly. It's not just because of our values and uh, the fact that we take time to do them. It's because the communities trust us as well. Mm, mm. And that can't be underestimated. Absolutely. And that I think that's the most important thing is is building up those relationships and building up that trust so that, you know, yeah. they, they know where they can turn to when they yeah. when they need to and i think that's um you know such a beautiful thing to to see you throughout the years uh you know presenting being on different platforms uh growing in your career and now to come full circle back here is it's pretty deadly but i did want to touch on your experience in the journalism and trauma space particularly with your role uh, on the board of the DART Centre for Journalism and Trauma. And and yeah. I guess um, in terms of reporting on these issues that we've just spoken about um, and, and how extremely heavy that can be, how do, I guess, our black writers navigate this space in the best way in consideration of not only, you know, doing uh, their job in, in the best way that they can and in the most respectful way for families and community, but also looking after yourself. Yeah, I think it's um, something I think that our mob and media have had to deal with, you know, as long as our media has been around. But I feel like the conversations are happening a lot more at the moment because, uh, you know, in, in, historically there's it's just been survival mode. You know, our media was fighting to get recognised, fighting to get a voice. Mm. Um, and now that we have 
black media across the country in so many different mediums, I think we can start to talk about the trauma and the weight of covering our stories properly every mm. single day. And these conversations are really hard because I think a lot of us, and I, I really owe a lot to the journalists uh, and editors that have come before me and how they've paved the way for black media to exist in the way it does today, you know. Uh, Karma in the Central Desert, mm. PAW Media, which comes from Yundamu, my country, um, Kuru Mail's history, you know, 30 years strong. Mm. We owe so much to the way you've built up, you've written the values, you've written the protocols, you've, you know, made it very clear how black media is meant to operate in this country. And now we need to sit down and really talk about, well, what supports are there for us? when every day, day in, day out, we are having to report on these traumas because after doing it for a number of years, you'll end up crashing. You know, it's called burnout and we lose the ability, we lose the resilience to keep covering the stories the way we need to and if we lose that, then we lose a voice. Mm. So we have to talk about how we stay resilient in this job and a lot of that is to do with... each other, you know, like building those peer networks amongst other black journalists and media, Mm. um, talking about these issues. And then there's the accountability aspect, you know, it's if we are not in, if we're black journalists, there's a chance that in our lifetime we might work in a non-Indigenous space, um, or at least that we're going to have to contend with non-Indigenous media and the way it's covering the same stories we're covering. And that is a form of trauma. Mm. So, having these whitewashed newsrooms, having these white perspectives put on our stories, having to um, pull apart the racist coverage, it takes a toll. And so I think as a community, as a collective of black media, we can band together and we can call that out and we can demand better. And we are seeing that, you know, in the wake of Black Lives Matter last year, we saw media pulled in. Mm. Where are your black board members? Where are your black HR representatives? You know, where are your black editors? That's right. And who are the decision makers who put through this story, which has a million fallacies in it? Um I'm really proud of our black media and how strong we are and how supportive we are of one another, you know. Like I have a number of sisters and brothers I can ring up whenever mm. I'm feeling the weight of a yarn and having those conversations is the one thing that gets me through the really heavy times. Um, but beyond that, I think that there needs to be a reckoning with mainstream media mm. where they don't just wait for us to call them out where they start to actively implement anti-racist policies in their organisations so that we don't have to keep doing it. Eliminate the exhaustion that, that our black writers and black media carry at times as, as, as a resort when people, you know, aren't doing it the right way, when they should be. Take that accountability, take that responsibility and, and yeah. let us rest and, and focus on, on doing what we know we have to do best for, for our communities. Yeah, I love that. Let us rest. <laughs> Let us rest. Let us rest. Look, as as you mentioned, Black Lives Matter. We know that. We feel that. Black media matters. Uh, the voices of our people matter. And mm-hmm. today, look, we've gone overtime. We've gone overtime, but I don't want to take away from the conversations that needed to to be had today, uh, especially in respect for the families of Charlene Warrior 
and Gordon Copeland. And I want to express our deep sorrow and our condolences for the families and communities that are going through sorry business uh, at the moment, but uh, respectfully want to uh, give them a voice through this podcast and through our conversation and certainly won't be apologising for running over time in this edition with you, Titter, because uh, it's been really special to to yarn with you. Uh, I do want to um, also, again, uh, put it out there, the importance around listening, reading, watching black media. Uh, make sure that you're supporting our black media organisations, whether it is our, our bigger platforms or our remote broadcasters in their communities. If you want to know about black issues and what's happening on the ground in our communities, our, our media organisations do an amazing job. Uh, we're still one of the most underfunded sectors uh, so again, massive shout out to our workers in our sector that are doing the work um, and putting putting in the hard yards to, to be the voices for our people and our communities. Uh, in saying that, First Nations Media Australia um, have launched their awards. First Nations Media Australia intend to, to deliver Converge in Adelaide this year, sister. I don't know if you've heard that yet. Um, hey, Ghana country. Yeah, lovely. so, um, <laughs> you know, obviously pending COVID situation, but the 2021 Converge Conference uh, will be gathering um, in Adelaide from the 23rd to the 26th of November. In the lead up to that, the First Nations Media Australia Awards are now open for nomination. Uh, you've been a recipient of those awards, sister. Oh, yeah. And look, I echo all your sentiments, um, you know, heart goes out to all the families mourning mm. at the moment and shout out to black media doing what they do best. I think um, it's really important to recognise the role that all black media Absolutely. does yep. on the ground. Um, but yeah, I you know what, I, I'm really excited to hear the awards are still going ahead this year. So all the young mob out there who maybe have doubted any of your work in the past, don't put it forward. Like, it is so important to back yourself and to know 100%. that your voice is strong. Yeah, yep. it's yeah. So um, it should be a really beautiful night again, hey? Yeah, deadly. And also uh, for for anybody who may be uh, listening from our black media organisations, you can also uh, nominate for a position on the board. Uh, so very much encourage people to jump on the First Nations Media Australia website. So www.firstnationsmedia.org.au. Uh, we'll also put links in the show notes um, on the podcast uh, label. And you can check out uh, the process for nominating yourself or somebody else to be a member of the board. So um, really important work that First Nations Media Australia are doing, formerly uh, the Indigenous Remote Communications Association, but now the peak body of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander media uh, in, in Australia and look forward to Converge. Before we go, though, you said that you had a funny lockdown story and I'm dying to oh. hear it. <laughs> All right, then let's see if you can squeeze this in. Um, look. <laughs> It was, like I said, I've had a lot of anxiety about going out since, you know, we, we've opened up on Monday this week in mm. Sydney on Gadigal land. And um, I decided yesterday just to do something for myself that I hadn't done in months. And so I booked in a massage last night. <laughs> Bless. Uh, walk in with my mask on. 
sitting there waiting. I was a bit nervous, but there wasn't anyone, you know, in the waiting room. So I was like, oh, this mm. is all right. Not not too crowded, not too many people. This will be all right. Um, get into the room, you know, I'm lying down, got the towel on. Um, I have my face through the hole, so I didn't have to wear a mask, which was good. Mm. Um, just the masseuse didn't. Halfway through, you know, I thought I was going to nod off. I was so relaxed. <laughs> But I uh, devoured a packet of chips probably half an hour before <laughs> I went in and I, I must have got a piece stuck in my tooth, which went down my throat oh, halfway no. through. And I, my eyes started watering. I was like, I'm going to cough. I'm going to cough. <laughs> and you can't cough. You it can't is, cough during we're, COVID. We're coming out of bed. Don't, you're not allowed to cough. And so I was just lying there with my face and I was like, oh, bless, what do I do? And my eyes were watering and I, I wasn't enjoying it anymore. I was struggling to breathe. So I asked the sister girl who was doing my massage just really quietly. She could get me a glass of water. Yeah. She, um, so lovely, straight away walked out of the room, got me a glass of water. As soon as she left, I just let it out. I was like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> Thank God for that. But yeah, anyway, so look, if you need a cough, let it out. Like it's yeah. okay. We, you know, just do it safely. Ask people to leave the room if you can. But oh my oh, God, mate, it's going to, yeah. People are going to react. They're going to react yeah. and that whole thing around, you know, control what you can control and like not take it to heart. Yeah. So again, sister, thank you so much for joining us. It's been really deadly having a yarn. As mentioned, you mob, we'll be providing links to uh, things that we've spoken about today in the show notes, ways that you can support the families uh, that are dealing with uh, the loss of their loved ones, GoFundMes and other ways that you can support families and communities during this time. We want to thank everybody uh, for tuning in. We're grateful for your listenership and your readership and we will see you next fortnight. Uh, thanks again, Rachel. Uh, really appreciate your time today, sis. Thank you, sis. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. Big Dory podcast presented by the Koori Mail newspaper is proudly produced on the lands of the Widgibal Wyobal people in Lismore, northern New South Wales. We pay our respects to the Widgibal Wyobal people of the Bundjalung Nation, to their elders, past and present, their community, their families and their young people who we know will be strong and capable leaders for the future. Now, don't forget to hit the subscribe or follow button on your screen to stay up to date with the Big Dory's latest podcast. And make sure you rate this episode for us. You can find links to all our socials and website information in the show description. Don't be shamed, sis. Let them know what's up. Take away for your baby so they grow up tough. Aim higher even though you grew up in hard knocks and show your babies what it is.